Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, it's Kelly. And joining us on the show this week is N.T. Donahue, a writer who delves into music, fashion, movies, TV, and feminism, and recently released her first book entitled Nobody Cares. We catch up with Toronto's own Scott Hellman, who's been having incredible success with his single, Hang Ups. And of course, we review some new music for you. This week, it's Ariana Grande, Avicii, and Ellie Goulding. But first, time to speak to writer Auntie Donahue. And welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I have to take you back. Did you always know that writing was going to play a part in your life? Um, writing or anything that garnered any attention whatsoever as I was an only child, and that's my currency. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I, yeah, I was that nightmare person. So uh, luckily, writing became a thing that I knew I was good at, but I mean, I went through so many phases of so many different career paths, and all of them were tragic for anyone to watch. Fortunately, you don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that you've written for like a bunch of websites and blogs and all of this sort of pertaining to to pop culture, the stuff that I mentioned off the top. How did you decide that pop culture was for you? Like, have you always been sort of mesmerized by it? Yes. Um, a very annoyingly so for anybody who was in my social circle. I've, I'm one of those idiots who will watch something and love it, and then it becomes like I, I can obsessively quote it. Um, like I don't know the periodic table, and I don't remember the periodic table, um, but I can tell you in which episode of Mad Men Joan, you know, does whatever. So I was from the get-go obsessed with Cinderella, um, the Disney movie, and then like grew out of that and then went into like Les Mis and then went into Star Wars. And it was uh, probably quite nerdy for anybody that like hung out with me. But since then, it's almost like I've pray- that's been my church, praying at the altar of pop culture. I totally get it. As a radio announcer, this is what I do, so I get it. Do you do you find, because I know like growing up, I had a couple of people say to me, like, why do you care so much about like Hollywood and what's going on? And just and I'm like, I can't explain it. It's just fascinating to me. And, it, and it's not, it wasn't, in my case, it wasn't just necessarily like, um, you know, what the celebrities are wearing or whatever, but it's, you know, why is that movie made, the behind the scenes of it, how that music video went. Is that similar for you? Yes, that was exactly it. Um, and I couldn't figure out, what that was for a really long time. And then the older I got and the more I began to write about it, the more um, I realized that pop culture is kind of a universal language, sort of speak. And it's a really great barometer for the way the world is going and the way our culture goes or the way our society is going. And then when you think of it in that term, or that term, sorry, it's a lot less trivial sounding, I think. Because I think when you talk about pop culture and you're like, I love pop culture, it's easy to trivialize it. But then you realize it's actually this thread that runs through everything and it's actually not trivial at all. I'm so glad you brought that up because I have found before that sometimes I'm afraid to say to people exactly, you know, what I do and why I love it or whatever because I feel like they're like, well, you're not a brain surgeon and you're not saving people's lives. But I'm like, no, but I'm entertaining the brain surgeon on his way to work or her way to work. And so right. if they and if they go into work in a good mood, then I'm I've done my job. Yes. And also like I mean that I, I don't love that hierarchy anyways of like career, you know, shaming because it's like of course those Brain surgery is incredible, and if you can do that, that's wonderful. But also, I'm not better than anyone else, and that person isn't better than anyone else. It's like, you know, everybody has a place. So I think if pop culture is mine or a part of my place, I think that's I'm lucky, and I consider myself lucky. Growing up, did you have specific celebrities or artists that you 
kind of really followed and, and sort of stuck with? Like for me, I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan and it's been that way. Do you have someone like that in your life? Uh, yes. I mean, my love for Leonardo DiCaprio began in 1997 <laughs> with the release of Titanic. <laughs> Perfect. I was, a, I was a little bit young for Romeo and Juliet still, so um, that took a little longer. But then music-wise, um, Spice Girls, I was like very obsessed with wanting to be baby. And then once I got a little bit older, I wanted to be posh. Um, I look like neither of them, and uh, we are the opposite kind of people, I think, based on just who we are. But in my head, I'm like, yes, those were my two saints, the patron saints to whom I prayed that I would get permission to see Titanic in theaters, and I wasn't allowed. Wow. Well, I, I, you and I are already like cut from the same cloth because I totally understand this. Now, talk to us, too, about um, your first uh, book, Nobody Cares, which is a collection of essays. Why do you think it's resonated with, with readers in their 20s and 30s so much? I mean, I, um, I don't know. I think like it's, I feel like I wrote about things that happened to me and they're very personal stories in that book. But at the same time, there are things that I write about that I think are quite universal. Like I think in our 20s and 30s, um, you're told that by the time you hit those ages, you're going to have everything figured out. And you, you're not going to be a mess anymore. And you're not going to feel like this. And this is going to be, and you're going to have this cookie cutter life. Should you want it? And then um, that's a lie. And everybody is a disaster. And we're all very messy. And we're all very flawed. And I think I wanted to write something that maybe made people feel less alone in that revelation. Because once you have that revelation, it's at first quite isolating. And then it becomes this very liberating feeling of like, oh, everyone's a mess. Like, oh, we're all really just trying to figure it out. And we're all failing and we're all flailing, but we're succeeding. And we're beautiful, but we're awful. And it's where we contain multitudes. So I wonder and hope if that is what people found in it. I just wanted to write something honest because nothing is worse than writing something personal and not honest as far as I'm concerned. Joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show is writer and author Auntie Donahue. Make sure you grab all of her social media handles off of her website, which is AuntieDonahue.com. You have a popular email newsletter called That's What She Said. Did a lot of the ideas for the book uh, come from writing the newsletter? Yes. um, Well, not so much the ideas, but that's how the publisher found me. So Jen and Christy at ECW um, had subscribed to the newsletter, and they were like, have you ever thought about making this a book? And I said, I am a raging narcissist. I've thought about making everything a book. And um, luckily, they were receptive to that and didn't block me immediately and went from there. So there's a couple newsletters that are in the book that are tweaked a little bit, but for the most part, the book is all original. Now, several essays in the book actually talk about anxiety, including a chapter with advice on what to do when you feel like you, uh, you're you this anxious mess and everything is terrible. Is it important for you to kind of have a voice when it comes to mental health issues? Because I know that, you know, in the last couple of years, which is amazing, it's becoming more popular. I don't even want to use the word popular, but more accepted, I guess, to talk mm-hmm. about mental health, which I think is amazing and needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, I it's a privilege for me that anyone would take anything I say and um, have it apply to them or mean something to them. I know that for myself, between anxiety, between any and all other mental health uh, situations, diagnoses, et cetera, I, it helped to find someone who maybe had a stage or platform that I was like proof that you can still continue to be a person and um, combat these things. And then I think communication as a whole, when you talk about normalizing mental health, it means like actually talking about it and not just on like, you know, a one day a year or in a very like uh, 
neutralized setting. I like the idea that when we talk about it, we're like talking about how it actually makes you feel and then how on some days you feel amazing. And it's a very fickle beast, um, mental health disorders, and they're all very different beasts, I should say. So it's cool that anyone would care uh, about my experiences with it. That means, I mean, like, that's a huge honor, actually, I should say. What made you want to include essays as well about failure in Nobody Cares? Because, you know, sometimes that's a topic that's poo-pooed because nobody wants to admit that they might have floundered a bit. Man, I think because I failed so much, it's another one of those things where I wish somebody had been like, I have failed too, or I failed this colossally, and we're both in this together. So I figure if I put all of my failures out there, or I do... I'm as open as I can be, then maybe someone who's going through something similar will feel less alone. That was basically the whole, the umbrella with which that book framed itself, where it's like, if I went through this, I'm not the, like, I'm, I'm unique, but I'm not that unique. Like, this means other people have gone through this. So if we can all band together, everybody feels less alone. And if you feel less alone, life sucks a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Were you trepidatious at all, Anne, about uh, putting out some of these topics and knowing that friends and family members were going to read this? No, I mean, I am with my friends and my my close friends and my family. I'm very open about my life. And they, I mean, there were, if I wrote about somebody and named that person, aside from two people whose names I changed in the book, I checked with them to make sure that was fine. Um, With my family, if I wrote, there's a chapter about my mom and religion, I made sure she read it over to make sure that, like, I wasn't painting a situation in a way that wasn't accurate. So um, they also watched firsthand as I went through all of these things. So I figure it's almost like, uh, guys, we did it. Look, <laughs> you helped me through this, and now I got to write about it. And then they got a perspective that they hadn't seen before, which was my front row perspective. Um, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but here we are. I wanted to ask you too, because recently I saw a post on Facebook from a friend of mine from high school, and she was talking about, you know, this um, like horrible time that she went through when we were in high school together. And in looking back, I remember thinking, I always thought she had it all together. Like, I always thought she was on fire. Everything was great. So to hear, like, to read this personal struggle uh, that she went through, it was really jarring for me all these years later, knowing that she was in pain and that a lot of us didn't know better and know to help. Um, when it comes to your book, ha- have you had some of maybe past friends or, or, or like old friends, I should say, come to you and go, wow, I didn't know you were going through that or, or I was going through that, too. Like, have you had that? I haven't. No, Um which is fair. I was also somebody that wore a lot of my emotions on my sleeve growing up. So I think it was probably easy to tell what I was going through because I was talking about things quite a bit. Of course, I mean, it was a different time. Like the 2000s and the 90s, like there wasn't the discourse we have now about like mental health or anxiety and, you know, um, failures, successes, et cetera. Uh, There's been a couple people who've been like, Oh, that was surprising. I didn't know that that was the whole story behind it. But nothing, nothing shocking, I don't think. I haven't had anybody come up and be shocked, um, which is fine. Or maybe they are all very shocked into silence, and that's why I haven't heard anything. That could be it. That could be it. Now, I want to uh, give you a big shout out because I uh, recently read that Nobody Cares has has uh, been optioned for a TV series, uh, yes. which is amazing. So, And apparently you're going to be able to get to write it. So tell us how this came about. Um, it's still quite a trip where I'm still wrapping my head around it. I was very lucky where Carolyn Habib over at Numetric Media approached me back in the summer. She had read the book before it came out and she was like, 
have you ever thought about optioning it? And I was like, I always think about huge, massive things, but like you never actually think. And then New Metric was incredibly generous and sat down for more than a couple, you know, lunch and dinner meetings to suss out my interest and to see if we could collaborate. And then Carolyn went on Matt leave and then Beth Eiley came on board and um, both were incredibly generous with their time to be like, have you thought about like how we could structure it or da 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then after all of those conversations evolved, um, it was about five months, maybe four months, three months, months, let's just say months of um, all of the fun contract going back and forth to be like, okay, I guess here we go from there. It's a very, um, it's very early days. So I feel like the things we've talked about are very exciting to me, but I still don't know how to articulate them like a professional person while having an interview because I'm still like, in my head, everything we said makes sense. <laughs> but if I were to explain it to you, this would be a 45-minute conversation and everyone who listens to your show would hate us both. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you, are you, um, what would the word be? Like, are you, have you already s- sort of foreseen maybe some challenges about trying to trans, or, you know, make how it worked in the book to make it work on screen? Or like, is some of that things, like those things already running through your head? Um, I mean, I think because we're so early still, um, I'm, if, I also think because Carolyn and Beth have been, and Mark, whose um, company it is, have been so open to talking to, like we've been talking in such a collaborative sense that um, any and all worries have been sufficiently squashed on my end. Like I feel very, very, I don't know if the word is protected. I feel they've got my back, I should say. So I feel like my work is very safe in their hands and my voice is very safe in their hands. So, so far I'm feeling incredibly like, I'm waiting for, I'm like, is this a a trick? Are you guys really this easy to work with? And then everybody that I've talked to is like, oh no, these people are just incredibly capable and smart and they'll listen to you. So, um, hooray. So I'm like, okay, all right, this is wonderful. They are very, very, very respectful of the material and of my voice, which is, a rare thing, I think. I think so, um, too. Yeah, I yeah. think so, too. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I cannot wait to see how this all turns out. And I did want to ask you, too, um, just with regards to social media, because for what you and I both do as a, a living, obviously, we have to be very involved in social media. How do you feel social media is going these days? I know that I actually have social media fatigue often, and I just want to put my phone down and not deal with it. Have you gotten to that point at all? Um, I think there, of course, yeah. I mean, right now, everything seems... <laughs> Everything seems awful because it is. (laughs) (laughs) I wish there was like a thing where I'm like, it seems bad, but it isn't. No, it does. It seems bad because it's bad. Um, I think I have had to learn that there's a time and a place for social media. Like if I'm having dinner with a friend, then my phone will be face down and or in my bag. And that's maybe not the time to just be scrolling through Twitter. And also, like, I think it's important to remember that when something horrible happens, which is um, a regular occurrence in our world right now, if you need to take a step back, take a step back and then come back later. I think, like, that uh, balance is, I think, the only way that I have been able to outrun fatigue full force. Um, That and on weekends, I tend to kind of neglect my phone. But then that's when something will happen that's hilarious and great. And then I miss like a really nice day on social media where I'm, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. (laughs) I think so. I agree Mm -hmm. with you. What are some pieces of advice that you would want to give aspiring writers who hope to have their work sort of heading in the direction that yours has? Like what, like what pitfalls would you like them to stay away from or just give them big sister advice? I wish I had any advice that I could offer that was concrete, but the way the media is 
I mean, right now we're watching like mass layoffs on a regular basis and um, people's dreams getting crushed yep. <laughs> every day, mm-hmm. uh, which is very not cool and very upsetting on several levels. I would say, you know, pitch editors that you want to write for. Like their emails are online. Email them directly. Like don't waste time about with worrying about doing it the right way necessarily because I don't know what the right way is. I would just say if you want to write for a place, email somebody at that place and pitch them. Like you have nothing to lose. At this point, none of us have anything to lose. It's like the last days of Rome, people. Just (laughs) just go for it. Email people you know, kind and polite, like not polite, but like respectful and, um, and just, you know, do it other, but I don't have any concrete advice, which is probably the most disappointing answer I could possibly give. That's fine. I'm down with that. Do you have specific goals mapped out for you this year that you want to achieve? Like, do you, do, does Anne have like a to-do list that needs to happen? Um, no, I have ditched that concept because it used to dry. I would get so obsessed with it that it would become my barometer for how I was functioning in my life, okay. where if I didn't achieve one thing, it would be the, you know, everything was bad. Um, so hopefully I would like a nice, a nice year. Let's just put it, a nice, fun, cool year. Let's just throw that in. And then hopefully those three words will be what I describe it at the end of the year instead of being like, may this your burn in hell like many of us have before about our previous past. <laughs> That's perfect. It has been so awesome to have you on on the show. Thank you so much for this. Well, thank you. It means a lot to have been asked. So thank you for having me. That's writer and author Auntie Donahue. Again, make sure to grab all of her social media handles off her website, AuntieDonahue.com. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. For the window, I've been on a A look now at some new music for you this week. Now, I'm not sure how she has managed to continue to record and release new tunes considering she's on tour and is headlining Coachella, but Ariana Grande has just dropped a new single with her friend and collaborator Victoria Monet, who also happened to help co-write Ariana's recent hit songs, Thank You, Next, and Seven Rings. The name of the song you're hearing is called Monopoly, and it's got a really catchy beat and melody. And I'm certain, without a doubt, this is going to be yet another hit song for Miss Grande. I let go, but I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how, but I need to. Superstar DJ and producer Avicii passed away just about a year ago, and his friends, family, and fans were, of course, devastated by the news. Now, at the time of his passing, his new music project was about 90% complete, and with the support of his family, the project is being finished, and the first track off the album is called SOS and features one of Avicii's favorite collaborators, Aloe Black. They had a ton of success with Wake Me Up, and it looks like this new song is going to do very well, too. The new album is going to be called Tim, which is Avicii's real first name, and the producers who helped finish the album say that they were actually able to preserve Avicii's piano playing so that when you hear this song, it is actually music played by him. Tim, the album, will be released on June the 6th. (laughs) 
Singer-songwriter Ellie Goulding has released a new single called 16, and the track is Ellie reminiscing about her childhood as a rebellious teenager. Ellie says she hopes it reminds us all about the innocence of youth. Ellie, by the way, continues to add to her already successful career, having sold over 14 million albums and winning two Brit Awards. This song will surely be another hit in her arsenal. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, don't forget that you can subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms like iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and Google Play. We're looking forward now to chatting with our next guest, Juno-nominated artist Scott Hellman. Scott was recently in Montreal on tour, and we were able to catch up with him before he hit the stage. The Kelly Alexander Show. We are super excited to welcome back to the Kelly Alexander Show one Mr. Scott Hellman. Hello, Hi. sir. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I, uh, I had you on the show, I want to say like two years ago. Different hair, less tattoos. That's true. So now you've been doing tattoos, so I have to start there. Where, where have we gone with the tattoo? You're not doing like a Bieber thing where it's all over, right? Are you heading no, that direction? No, I'm kind of leaving like my torso alone. Please do I that. have a little, some leg stuff. Okay. And I'm, I don't, I just, I can't do it to my grandfather. I can't okay. get neck or fit. like he would just, it would be game over. It would be over. So, <laughs> so I heard you have some like uh, overseas tattoos that we Yeah, okay. Acquired. So the, here's what you should not do if you get tattoos. <laughs> so I pulled up into London, England and I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo today. So I Googled, so I really like stick and poke tattoos, which is like manual tattoos because yeah. I find they look really cool. Okay. So I just Instagram searched hashtag London stick and poke. Okay. And I found this uh, stick and poke collective. Okay. And I was like, that's awesome. And they were like really weird and punky. And I was like, that's so my vibe. <laughs> so I'm like, I messaged this girl, DM her. She's like, come to this address. And I'm like, okay. And I, I go, like, it's so far out in East London. Because I kind of grew up going to London. So I know London like decently well. Yeah. I was like, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> Don't know if this is a safe neighborhood at all. Um, and then there was like, the, it was like, it was okay. It wasn't that sketchy. But mm-hmm. then... I go to the address and it's like this gate and the gate opens and then I walk into this like boarded up courtyard with like spray paint and I was like, oh yeah, I was about to turn around and then this girl comes out and she's like, hey, and I'm like, hey, and she's like, come on and I'm like, okay, because what am I going to do at that point? Be like, do you scare me? Goodbye. No. So I walked in and um yeah, these guys, like, they, they had this little room, and they, like, lived in the rafters on mattresses, and they were all, like, punks with, like, face tattoos and, like, crazy hair. And I was like, okay, just make sure that there's, there's a clean needle, because that's the most important thing. Yeah. If, if you see them unwrap it from a clean thing, and they have gloves on, you're, you're good to go. Okay. Uh, so I was just making sure that was the deal. And then it was, and then we sat for, like, three hours, and they all ended up being the nicest people I've ever met, super interesting really lovely and I was like what's it like like having crazy face tattoos and like being kind mm-hmm. of sort of um, I don't want to say scary looking but I'd say Left maybe to some, to some people scary looking <laughs> and they were like yeah it's crazy because we're not like we're just lovely normal yeah. people from England and I was like cool did you let your girlfriend or someone know that you were going to sketch town no so that in I case told you were them after pillaged? and they were like don't do that again <laughs> but they were so nice, and I, I like it. Really, was one of those things of like, wow, people really are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should be safe, but yeah, um, they were so lovely, and I was like, well, cool. Okay, well, as long I just want to make sure nothing happens to you. No, nothing happens because no, we would be very good. upset if you didn't. Come yeah, back that to was Canada, a bad call. So. That was a bad. I'm just saying, do not do that. It was. <laughs> it was definitely. It went well for me, but it. It's not a good call. Uh, Scott, talk to us about <laughs> hangups uh, because first of all, the song is just. 
Amazing. I really do have no problem listening to it a jillion time over. Do you, did you do remixes of it, by the way? Do you do that? I don't no, think No, someone sent me one, though. And okay. I, uh, I can't remember who. I have to go back in my emails, but I, there was a really great one. Oh, yeah. Someone did like a Spanish version. Oh, that's cool. That I think might be coming out. I'm not sure what the deal is with that, but it was, I was just, it had that like Spanish nice. pop to it, which was cool. I think you should have like Dave O'Day or something do yeah. a nice remix of Hang Ups. But, anyways, talk to us about the song. So it came together easily. Um, it, well, it, it, it sort of, it was quick, but it was really, it was really hard. Like I was really, we got really like math on it. I was like, I want to make sure that this song is perfect. Okay. So, uh, I was, it was just a lot of like, did you write it here in Canada or were you in the States when you were there? Um, that? I wrote it in, I think I wrote, yeah, I wrote it in Nashville. Oh, cool. Do you yeah. like going to Nashville? Cause Nashville's like the jam now, right? I really do. Yeah. It's just nice and quaint and it's quiet and okay. there's space for you to think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I know great writers down there, and they're. Do you think you'll ever fun. move permanently to like a Nashville and LA and New York, or like because Toronto is sure. the place to be, right? Like, there's no. I, I actually just, saw that that it's one of the best places to write. I anyway, just love Toronto. Okay, and I like going away to write because mm-hmm. it it makes it more of like a moment. Yep. You know mm-hmm. where I'm and I'm a moment person. Like I need things to be like this is my moment to write this song. <laughs> it, it, it's if I if I if I write a lot. I like writing in Toronto, but it doesn't. When you you know get on a plane and you get to LA and then you you meet someone and you're like okay it it just feels more like mm-hmm. I don't know I think I've always had a propensity to want my life to be a movie okay who would play you in a movie I don't know Justin Timberlake some miscellaneous twelve year old <laughs> some miscellaneous <laughs> named Bob yeah. <laughs> There we totally. go. Uh, I don't know. Who okay. do you think would play me? I'm trying to think who I could pick. See, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like a younger Justin Timberlake could play you. That's nice to say. Yeah. My brain's going like Michael Sarah, but. Oh, true. Although he's a bit but, more quirky, I no, feel. No, that's like the dark sort of like self-deprecating <laughs> part of my brain. And then the other part of my brain's like Timothy Chamelet. There we are. Young Leah. It's ridiculous. Uh, you were recently nominated for a Juno Award. How yeah, awesome was that? That was cool. Because, I, I mean, I've been nominated for, that was my fifth time, but this mm-hmm. time felt special because um, I don't think I was born with the inherent ability to make great music videos. Okay. Um, I really had to, like, learn how to do that, mm-hmm. um, you know? So I feel like, I mean, to get nominated for a video of the year, it's like, oh, okay, I, I know really how cool. to make music videos now, which is cool because I, I put a lot of work into that. So, Talk to us about being part of the Canadian music scene because there's so many great young artists like yourself, Tyler Shaw, Rhea May, who I know you've toured with before. Uh, like the list goes on. Like how do you guys, are you guys like a family, like an extended family in a way? Like good buds? Um, it's, 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 well, you know, you go on tour and you don't see anyone and mm-hmm. all you hear is like, you know, you Instagram each other and stuff, but... When you get to go to something like the Junos or the MMVAs and you see everyone together, you're like, oh, it's so good to be a part of this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad I'm in that category of like Bulo and Jesse Reyes and yeah. Sean Mendes, like and it's Alessia Cara. It just really is so cool to to know that Canadian music is consistently spe- – it's always special mm-hmm. and it's always exceptional. Mm-hmm. Now, Alessia Cara recently got to hang out with you in a, one of your hotel sessions. So explain what that is. I recently got to <laughs> hang out with Alessia Cara. Okay, that's how right. the sentence okay. goes. <laughs> how did, so have you known her for a while? Um, yeah, actually. The, so the reason why I know her quite well is because we did a festival together and both of our moms were there. And they hit it off really well because... Amazing. I don't know. I mean, 
it must be strange to be a mom and like your kid is like playing shows to 2000 people every night or whatever. So they were like, what's your vibe on it? And they kind of, I think they connected because of that. Okay. Uh, which was so cool. I'm so glad my mom like found someone to talk to that wasn't like your son. They were like, yeah, my daughter's the same, you know? So that was cool. Um, and then we just became friends and, you know, I, we, I just texted her every time she put something out like, it's so good. So, um, yeah, I don't and then know. she became part of hotel. And then sessions. I just messaged her. I was like, "Hey, would you do this?" And she was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> and then we did it. Do you have like somebody on your wish list for like down the line, like who you'd yes. like to work with? Um, I would love to work with Brian Adams. Would be dope. Mm-hmm. Buble, nice. Me up. Let's do it. Also, Bulo. I'm a big fan of Bulo mm-hmm. and Carly Rae Jefferson. And like she's like doing things this year. I think I think Carla Rae's on CRJ as I call her. I think she's on her way back. I feel, that I feel album things are Emotion happening. Is my one of my favorite pop albums ever? Is there a song in the last like year that you wish you had written? The whole 1975 album. Okay. Have you met the guys? I would crumble into. <laughs> I would turn into. I don't know. I would die if I met. Well, that. we're putting that out there. I love you, Matt Healy. Please come <laughs> to my house and say hi. Last question for you: What's happening for you for the rest of the year? Like, do you have plan? I know the tour finishes in a couple of weeks, and then like resting time. Like, what's yeah, happening? I'm gonna take some time off. I gotta go to England, um, meet, see my family, and then no more sketchy tattoos, though. No, no, no. I'll be fine. <laughs> no, well, it's so funny because I'm like, I'll go back there because I know they're now not you know sketchy. But it's true. No, I will not be googling. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then I'll be in LA. I'll, okay. I'm finishing up some music, mm-hmm. so stay tuned because awesome. there's more coming. We can't wait for you to come back with new stuff. And again, congratulations on the hang up. It's literally amazing. Good job. Uh, Scott Hellman hanging out on The Kelly Alexander Show. Bye. The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the program this week. We always appreciate your time. And of course, a big thank you going out to our guests, Auntie Donahue and Scott Hellman. Of course, my thanks going out to our awesome producer, Adam Brisson. Please make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. And of course, we'd love for you to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash kellyalexandershow. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon.